Hello, and welcome to Radical Candor, a podcast from Panoply in Gretchen Rubin's Onward Project. Radical Candor is about how not to hate the boss you have, or be the boss you hate. Don't want to be the boss you hate. Certainly not. It's terrible to hate yourself. I'm Kim Scott, co-founder of Candor, Inc., and author of Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity. And I'm Russ Laraway, also a co-founder of Candor and career-long operational manager across the Marines, Google, and Twitter. Russ and I put the co in founder. Yeah, we did. Uh, on this episode, we'll talk about ruinous empathy and giving criticism. By ruinous empathy, we mean those times when we, and we all do this. We sure do. Care personally, but fail to challenge directly. And this probably sounds familiar. Um And that's because last week's episode also talked about ruinous empathy, but actually on how someone is being ruinously empathetic when giving praise. So today, it's all about the flip side of ruinous empathy, criticism. So along the way, we'll discuss why we hate the old adage, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. You ever heard that one, Kim? Oh, my goodness. Hate that adage. Although I will admit I'm sometimes tempted to say it to my kids. It's extremely tempting to say that to your children. We'll tell you about times when we hurt people that we cared about by being ruinously empathetic, by being too nice. We're also going to hear some listener mail today. And we're, of course, just like always, we're going to give you concrete tips on how to do things better with this week's candor checklist. So, Kim, you ready to dive in? Yes. So today we're going to talk about ruinous empathy and giving criticism. Most of us are really reluctant to give criticism to people. We just just want to be nice, right? We care personally uh, uh, about this individual we're about to talk to, and we don't want to hurt their feelings. And too often, as a result, we say nothing. And in the worst case, as a manager, you say nothing, and then you wind up having never told the person what they did wrong, having to fire them. Not so nice after all. Not even close. And so I think the point is that criticism is necessary. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's actually a great thing. It's a gift. And the reason you have to just remember the purpose of criticism is to help people know what to do better. And that is really why we hate that old adage. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I mean, look, you've been taught this. I've been taught. Everybody's been taught since they were a little baby. Yeah. uh, That. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But now it's your job to say it as a manager. And not just your job, your moral obligation. Your real role as a leader is to help people grow. And you can't help them grow if you don't tell them what they're doing wrong. Absolutely. I I think there's probably no better way to really understand this than maybe maybe we could deal with a couple cringeworthy stories here. School of hard knocks. Yeah, the school of hard knocks. Um, I think, Kim, I think you have a really good really good ruinous empathy story here that I think our listeners could really benefit from. Absolutely. I'm, in order to explain exactly what I mean by ruinous empathy, I'm going to tell you a story about probably the worst moment of my career. So I had, It's a high bar. Yeah. It was, there have been a lot of bad moments. You've seen a lot of them. This was even before I met you, Russ. Wow. And I, I, was, I was leading this team, and there was this guy, we'll call him Bob, on the team. And I really liked Bob a lot. He was funny. He was charming. He would do stuff like we were at a management offsite once, and we were playing one of those stupid time-wasting games that you know I hate, Russ. Scrabble? 
<laughs> no, I oh. love Scrabble, actually. It was like one of those get-to-know-you games that's painful. It's like a trust fall kind of nonsense. Oh, and <laughs> that's the worst. That's almost as bad as schmoozing. <laughs> uh, it is. It is. It is. And Bob, Bob was the only one in the room who was brave enough to say, you know, this has taken up a lot of time. I have an idea that will help us get to know each other and be really fast. Let's just go around the table and tell everybody what candy our parents used when potty training us. Wait, hold on. What hold on. candy, Russ? I've never asked you this well, question. I don't know. I need what? Ca- I was Hershey's Kisses. What Her- I was well. Good. Thanks for sharing. Um, with <laughs> almonds or without? Without. Okay. This was the old days. Yeah, kids don't love almonds in their chocolate. No. Uh, so this wasn't something we did in our in our house. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a whole other story. We'll talk about that later. Anyway, so I thought that was funny of Bob. The thing that was really charming about Bob, though, was that for the next ten months. Every time he had, there was a a tense moment in a meeting, Bob would whip out just the right piece of candy for the right person at the right moment. When you said whip out, (laughs) thank goodness. So it was the candy. Candy, candy, candy. And and so anyway, it always broke, broke the tension. And we all liked Bob. There was just one problem with Bob. What's that? He was terrible at his job. He was doing absolutely terrible work. Yeah, but I honestly, I'd keep him around for the candy. For the candy, yeah. yeah. I found out later, actually, the reason why his work was suffering so much, despite his stellar resume, was that he was smoking pot in the bathroom every day, twice ah, a day. Yeah, The candy. I know. I, yeah, that explains probably all that candy. Anyway, Bob was doing bad work. We all like Bob. <laughs> Nobody is telling Bob. And, and... I didn't say anything for 10 months. In fact, I I would always give him praise that was really sort of a head fake. Bob, you're such a smart guy. This is a great start, but I know you can do even better. And I never told him that his work wasn't nearly good enough. And what do you think happened after about 10 months? Well, you should, I don't well, I I'm I'm sure Bob had to go at some point, but um I'll guess peer revolt. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Peer revolt. I realized that if I didn't fire Bob, I was going to lose half my team. And so when I finally sat down and did what I should have done 10 months ago and told Bob just how badly he was falling short, his work was falling short, he pushed his chair back from the table. He could sort of hear the metal scratch on on marble. We were at a coffee shop, uh, another mistake. Bob was expecting to have a nice chat with me, a, a latte, and instead I fired him, right? So he pushes his chair back. And he stares right at me, looks me right in the eyes, and he says, why didn't you tell me? And as that question is kind of going around in my mind with no very good answer, he says to me, why didn't anyone tell me? I thought you all cared about me. Yeah. That's rough. Rough, rough moment. And I realized that I have failed Bob. I failed to give him praise that was meaningful. I failed to give him any criticism that that let him know where he stood. I failed to solicit feedback from him. We said we said last week a couple of weeks ago that you should start by asking for feedback, not by giving it. And I had totally failed to do that. Maybe I was doing something that was driving Bob to toke up in the bathroom. I don't know because I never asked him, right? I could see that. Yeah. I, well, I'm sure you could tell me about some of those things that I might have been doing. <laughs> and, and, and worst of all, I had failed to create the culture in which everyone would have told Bob when he was going off the rails. And all I could do in that – it was too late to save Bob. All I could do in that moment 
was make myself a really solemn promise that I would never make that mistake again. And that was a big part of what motivated me to write this book, Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity, uh, and, and to start this company with you, Russ. And I can say, just having known you now for well over a decade, that uh, you've been delivering on that promise, you know, really well. I mean, of course, I tease you all the time about about your mistakes, but and we all make them. But, uh, you know, I'd say that I'd say that you're keeping that promise. Didn't do Bob a lot of good, but at least I didn't repeat the mistake. Yeah, there's been a lot lot more folks after Bob. Bob's probably fine now. Bob's doing okay, actually. I've, I, I have been in touch with him. And that's usually how it goes. And that, that really sort of leads into, I've, I've kind of got a story as well. This story is really about how I inherited a disaster, um, a disaster born of- I, Of ruinous empathy? 12 months wow. of ruinous empathy. And the story centers on mm-hmm. someone named Kelly. And for a little bit of context, um, I showed up to a new job mm-hmm. um, at Google. And the team was underperforming and underperforming in a, in a way that in 2011 ish, 2012 was almost impossible. They were, <laughs> what were they doing? They were, they missing... were also smoking pot in the bathroom. <laughs> I don't know if that was happening. Uh, I don't <laughs> think so. I think um, it was a different set of mistakes. Yeah, I think that Google security was was probably good enough to prevent that from happening. I, I don't know. But missing target and, and not growing in a time when the economy is on fire. Yeah. And Google was. I mean, they were money was flying out of the vents, right? Like, (laughs) um, good place to be. Then you you had to almost try not to perform, and so they were missing target, and they were behind. and And so, I'd been at Google for a long time by then, and had a little bit of track record of tidying some things up, right? You, 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 and I got to work together on on tidying something up, and so that was my job, you know. And just personally, my my immediate theory was, oh, there's probably a problem with the manager. Because Google just always has these had great people, right? Yeah. And if if great people aren't sort of doing the job, the first place the boss's fault. Yeah, the first place you gotta look, I feel like, is is the manager. And by the way, no one has flagged for me that this manager Kelly might have been a problem. And but yet, this group when I showed up on my desk was a book called "The Five Dysfunctions of a Team." So like, (laughs) they're willing to flag something. Yeah, there's some stuff (laughs) going on. Um, uh, you know, across this whole organization, but no one had specifically flagged Kelly as a problem. So I start to dig in and it is immediately clear to me there is a massive leadership problem. So I start talking to to Kelly in a lot of detail. What's the plan? How are we going to fix this? How are we going to get it right? How right. can I help? And Kelly trots out about 79 spreadsheets as right. her plan. I, I mean, right. and I can't get any right. signal through the noise. It's 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 pretty rough. And it starts to become immediately clear that Kelly's just not getting it done from a leadership standpoint. Kelly's obfuscating. Yeah. Um, so in order to sort of further inform my context, I go and talk to a couple people that had managed Kelly before. They're close by. They're actually still in this so overall Kelly's group. previous bosses. Yeah, exactly. And there's some idea that, quote unquote, well, I tried to fire her. Try, like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, How I do you try. Yeah, I can see if you if you told me you tried to dunk a basketball. Yeah, you, and could, you maybe you, you could fail in doing. Yeah, that, that yeah. you could probably. But right. but how do you try to fire and like not succeed in firing someone? Have oh, they H- written a performance improvement. No, there's plan? no impro- nothing, performance nothing improvement. Like that. So yes. what what is the trying? I don't know. Entail? I don't know. They claim that HR <laughs> blocked them. Thought about it and um, decided not to do it. Is something that... like that. I think I think it's hard to do. Right? Yeah, you it have is, to. No, it's the worst part of being a boss. I mean, I'm laughing about it, but it's nobody. Nobody 
wants to fire somebody else. Your five worst days of your career uh, mm-hmm. would, you know, top five would mm-hmm. be the five days that you, if you, you had, had to, to fire, fire somebody, somebody yeah. you know. And this one still stands out for me as one of the worst ones I've had to do because, again, just uh, not to overuse the word empathy here, but in Kelly's household, she was the breadwinner. Yeah. And I just could immediately, I just could understand the stress she was about to go through. Mm-hmm. I could understand how embarrassing it would be to have to go home and tell your family that, yeah. you know, you've been let go. You've been fired. And I was physically shaking, actually, when I went in to, uh, to deliver this news. I was, yeah. I was actually physically shaking. It, it, is, it is amazing how the, the physical toll it takes when you have to do, when you have to fire somebody. You wake up, I wake in the, up in the morning and my stomach, I feel like I've, I feel like I'm going to throw up. So, okay, so you're shaking. Physically shaking, let her know the news, you didn't pass. Mm -hmm. Um, But like so many of these stories, it actually has a happy ending, which is about a year later, Mm -hmm. Kelly and I run into each other at an event. And she made a point to grab me at an opportune moment Mm -hmm. to say thank you. Wow. So she's now thanking you for having fired her. Which, And I'm not making it up. Those were her exact words. Yeah. She said that she knew she'd been kind of spinning her wheels there for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Google's a really hard place to leave. Yeah. Right? It is an amazing company. People are compensated real well. You get all these sort of sort of benefits. I'm, I'm a person that works at Google. Yeah. And she just acknowledged she was having a real hard time calling it. And she knew she was done. She was on to a new challenge. Mm-hmm. She was having a ton of success. And she's had a bunch of success since this moment. She needed someone to force the issue. Right. And in her and, mind, I was the one who did yeah. that for And her. nobody had done it. Like she maybe could have stayed at Google if somebody had just told her that she couldn't she couldn't phone it in there. She had to actually work. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, look, the a lot of what we're doing is we're trying to inspire people to act, right? And so maybe sometimes it's not only helpful to hear about the mistakes that we made, but maybe think about the sort of problem you're causing for someone else down the line, either yeah. for the employee, yeah. which is or usually both where we for the employee and the employee's future manager, yeah. the future manager, the future business, the future boss, whoever. Yeah. And it's also terrible for the rest of the team, for the people who are probably picking up the slack that this person is is leaving behind by doing bad work. And if the person's a manager, imagine how bad it is to work for a, a manager who's who's not good at their job. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah, that team was was absolutely demoralized. And so there's lots of people who suffer. Lots of people who suffer when you don't take care of business and you don't tell people what's when wrong. When they're screwing up. And usually when somebody's screwing up, they can fix it if they know that you know it's a problem. Exactly. Yeah. And now it's time for a listener question. And a reminder, you can always share your questions at podcast at RadicalCandor.com or call us at 2626-CANDOR. This week's question comes from one of our clients through our work with Candor Inc. The question is, I'm early in my management career and I'm ruinously empathetic. I know that part of being a manager is giving criticism, but I'm terrified that my team might take my criticisms personally. And my earliest attempts have led to tears. How do I cope with upset feelings or even better, prevent them? You know, I'm so glad we got this question because people ask it all the time. It's a really important one. Yeah, we hear this. We do. We hear this all the time. And it is true that your staff members might get upset sometimes. And yeah, they might even cry. Um, Here's the crazy thing we're going to tell you today. It's not the end of the world. You cannot control people's feelings. But 
when they have feelings like this, you can react to them with compassion. So right. That's exactly that's uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Russ. Uh, So many managers try to start with the words, don't take this personally. Of course, people are going to take it personally. Yeah, don't do that. Of course they do. People work all the time. They spend more time working than anything else. Of course they take their work personally. They take their work seriously. And that's not just okay. It's desirable, actually. Yeah, it's, it's great. So so starting something with don't take it personally, not even a realistic thing to expect. I take my work very personally. You right. tell me that. I'm like, well, that yeah. doesn't make any sense to yeah. me. Um, so here's here's sort of the idea. It's just reframe your thinking. Don't try to prevent tears. That's not really a, a meaningful objective. Instead, be ready for them. Be ready to provide a tissue or give a person some time to compose themselves. There's no reason you can't pick the conversation back up in 15 minutes after somebody collects themselves. By the way, if someone Or the next day is also okay. Yeah, exactly. The point is you, you got to kind of hunt for a teachable moment. And when someone's upset... They're not in a teachable moment. You can't really have a good conversation there uh, when someone's in that mental state. So a tissue, a bottle of water, a little bit of compassion. I understand how you're feeling and a little bit of time so that the two of you can find a good teachable moment where you can carry on and finish this conversation. But whatever you do, don't tell somebody not to be sad. People feel the way they feel. It is not your job as a manager to control other people's feelings. You can't even do it. No, you can't. Uh, so, so definitely don't try to avoid criticism just to avoid tears. In fact, even if the person cries, which obviously also don't try to make them cry, but even if a person <laughs> cries and, and it hurts them in the moment and it hurts you, but it's so much better in the long run if you can take that moment to show compassion, you can actually move up on the care personally axis in, in those moments. Much better for the person to know what they're doing wrong, even if it's short-term upsetting. Yeah, because the purpose of criticism is to help people know what to do better. Right. You want people to have more success. You got to help them know what to do better. Sometimes when you deliver that criticism, they're just going to get upset. And what matters is how you react to it, not trying to avoid that. And it's an act of kindness to tell them how to do better. Now, let's get to this week's candor checklist. Specific tips that you can start using at work right away. Tip number one, just say it. Just say it. (laughs) Just say it. If you see something, say something. I think they tell you that (laughs) at the airport. (laughs) This week, try finding one person who you can give some criticism to. Look for opportunities to say that work isn't good enough or that behavior is not working. Tip number two, go into a criticism conversation with both the criticism and the objectives for the meeting written down. It's so much harder to wimp out of saying what you need to say if you've actually written it down for yourself beforehand, yeah. even if you don't look at it. Yeah, totally agree. One one thing just to, to do when thinking about your objective is just start with the mindset. Of, I just want to be helpful. Right. I, I just, just want to help Russ get better at, well, you're already perfect, of course, Russ. Yeah, good but point. If you had any flaws, I just want to help Russ not put his hood over his head during <laughs> meetings, for example. I think another thing related to this, by the way, in the spirit of pre-work, is to go ahead and practice. Yeah. Find someone that you trust, um, a colleague, um, someone with a little distance who can help you sharpen your messaging. So by writing down your criticism, writing down your objectives, and doing a little practice... 
you can actually really sharpen your message and make sure it lands the way you intend. Sometimes things seem so clear in your head, and then you start talking to somebody else and you realize you got you got a ways to go. That's exactly right. So tip number three, accept the fact that you may not have a solution to offer right in the moment. And if you don't, consider asking the person who you're working with if he or she can work on finding solutions with you. You yeah. can come up with a solution together. Yeah, that's this is so important because I think a lot of times a manager really feels like that they shouldn't even give the criticism if they don't have the solution in hand, ready to go. And that, to me, is an impossibly high bar. You know, if someone's if something's not working, it's complicated why. And your version of why it's not working may not even be totally correct. So this idea that you have to have a fully baked, fully prepared solution when you walk into that conversation, to me, is nonsense. Of course. I mean, usually the people who you're working with are going to have a much clearer idea of what the solution is than you do. Yeah. So going into the conversation with the mindset that, it may be the case that you're going to work on the solution together really helps unlock your ability to give criticism because you've just taken away this impossibly high bar. And you certainly don't want to walk into giving criticism with the notion that you have all the answers. That's not really very humble. Yeah, it's not humble at all. <laughs> okay, so to recap, tip number one, just say it. If you see something, say something. Tip number two, go into a criticism conversation with both the criticism and your objectives written down. And tip number three, accept the fact that you may not have the solution in hand and you might need to work on it together. And as always, feel free to share your questions with us as well as the challenges you're currently facing at work. Write us at podcast at radicalcandor.com or call us at 2626-CANDOR. And as you may know, we're doing a Candor t-shirt giveaway for our listeners. If you leave us a review in iTunes, you'll be entered to win. It's that easy. Each week over the next few weeks, we'll be randomly selecting listeners who have left us iTunes reviews and announcing them on the show. So today we're announcing our first winner. And our first winner is C.J. Huff. C.J. How or Huff? C.J.H.O.U.G.H. Okay. All right. You're probably right. It's probably C.J. Huff. Almost certainly it's C.J. Huff. Well, he C.J. Can... or she. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing. Anyway, C.J., here's what C.J. writes. I listened to the first episode when it accidentally snuck onto my podcast list during a run. Sneaky. Very sneaky. I don't know how that happened. Anyway, but it was serendipity to find it there because the advice, caring and straight up, no nonsense approach to managing people spoke to me. You've got yourselves a subscriber and I'm eagerly awaiting the next episode and more great tips. Thanks. Yeah, I really appreciate that, CJ. Um, glad you glad you liked it. So please email us at podcast at radicalcandor.com to claim your candor t-shirt. Uh, we'll be announcing another winner on the show next week. So make sure to leave us a review in iTunes and tune in next week. And it doesn't have to be good. We want radical candor on radical candor. Send yeah. us some criticism. We're not filtering for praise. Yeah, exactly. It's true. It's true. We're not filtering for praise. Just so happens CJ really liked the podcast. And that is it this week for Radical Candor. Our producer is Kristen Meinzer. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Our theme song is by Cliff Goldmacher. Our website, as always, is www.radicalcandor.com. And the Radical Candor book is available for pre-order on Amazon Barnes & Noble Book Passage in your local bookseller. 
Radical Candor is part of the Onward Project, a network of shows from Gretchen Rubin that also includes her show, Happier, and Chris Guillebeau's show, Side Hustle School. Every day, Side Hustle School profiles different people doing what they love and maybe loving their boss or maybe loving not having a boss doing what they love. Recently, those people have included a Craigslist wedding photographer and a woman who makes saddles for pet chickens. Wait, wait, who... Who rides the chickens? You got to listen to Side Hustle and find out. I'm definitely going to do that. Listen to Side Hustle School on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Kim Scott. And I'm Russ Laraway. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks a lot for listening.